Hi, this is Alex Gonsalves of uh, TukiScout.com, and this is the Seller Sound Podcast. Simoš bending one for Torres. Eusebio. Oh, my word! Have you ever seen anything like that? He's got to Simão. A passar por dois adversários, Simão. A tentar obter o gol a Figo. E a bola é gol! From the Slesson Podcast Studios, we welcome you to episode 32 of the Slesson Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode here as uh, we have reached the end of the 2019-2020 league and club campaigns in Portugal, culminating with Port uh, getting the Dobradinha, securing the Taça de Portugal this past Saturday in Coimbra, beating Benfica 2-1. This comes obviously after Os Dragões won their second Liga Nosh title in the last three seasons under manager Sergio Conceição. So it was quite the season uh, for Port. Uh, quite the season, actually, for many, if not all the clubs, if you uh, take into account the uh, the pandemic. But uh, a great season in uh, in Liga Nós for clubs like Porto and Braga, Juave uh, and uh, Famalicão. Not so great uh, were the seasons for storied clubs like uh, Benfica and Sporting. And to discuss all of that with us on episode 32 is Alex Gonçalves from TugaScout.com. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation as we looked back at the season and we get his insight on Porto, Benfica, Braga, and Sporting, as well as uh, what he thinks are, uh, are are next for these clubs uh, coming up in the 2021 campaign, which is uh, just uh, just about to start uh, next month. Uh, as soon as uh, this season started or ended, I should say, uh, here in early August, it is, uh, is going to be uh, going uh, again and getting going again in September before you know it. Uh, we will get to the interview with Alex in just a moment, but let's uh, first remind you of all the ways you can stay connected and share our podcast with everyone around the world. First and foremost, our website, slesonpod.com. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at slesonpod. Like and share our Facebook page, facebook.com slash slesonpod. And you can always email the show slesonpod at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel with not a lot of content on it right now, but I am I am working on rectifying that, uh, and hopefully soon, uh, hopefully as soon as uh, next month when uh, the Slesson is back in action in uh, Nations League group play. And let me tell you something, guys. You don't know what you miss until it's gone. We've heard that saying over and over again for in various uh, stages in our lives. Uh, it's been since November since we have seen the Slesson on the field. And it didn't hit me until uh, the uh, the de Portugal final, uh, knowing that we were in August and knowing that uh, the Slesson will be playing in September. And it is such a great feeling that we'll be able to uh, to get Slesson uh, football back on the field, uh, hopefully as safely as possible uh, and as high a quality as possible as the Slesson Vies to become not only the inaugural winners, as we already are, but let's go back to back and be the only winners of the Nations League uh, since it's uh, been in existence. But uh, group play starts next uh, next month uh, as uh, we open up against Croatia. Uh, we'll have uh, a lot more on that uh, in the uh, in the coming episodes uh, later on this month and in uh, early September. But uh, yeah, um, I'm just looking forward to uh, to uh, Celeste on football again. And getting to see uh, our our beloved uh, um, our beloved Slesson de Schkinish, uh back on the field and uh, with that uh, beautiful crest on their chest. But um, but yeah, going back to uh, to YouTube, uh, we'll have uh, YouTube up and going here uh, hopefully soon. Um, search the Slesson podcast uh, on YouTube and please sub- subscribe 
to us there. Uh, of course, you can download, listen, and subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or any other podcasting platform you are using. And if you're feeling generous on Apple Podcasts, if you drop us a nice review and a rating of Sink Strelage, we would greatly appreciate your support. Okay, so we've got that all squared away. It is now time uh, to get to our review of the 2019-2020 Liga Nar season right here on episode number 32 of the Slesson Podcast with Alex Gonsalves of Tugascout.com. So let's uh, begin episode number 32 with our guest. He is uh, a member of the media who is covering uh, Portuguese soccer uh, through Tugascout.com. Uh, you can find his account for Tugascout at Tugascoutpt. Of course, we are uh, talking with uh, Alex Gonsalves. Uh, you can follow Alex on his personal account as well, uh, at Al Jeeves. That's A-L-J-E-E-V-E-S. Uh, we've been uh, trying to track him down for some time to get him on the podcast, and we uh, finally made our schedules work. Alex, it's uh, Danny Pinto here from the States. How are you doing? Hi, Danny. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very well. Thanks. Hope you are too. And yeah, it's great to to finally be able to to connect and, and get the chance to come on the podcast. You know we're gonna we're gonna have you on here to to discuss the uh, the 2019-2020 season, but uh, this past weekend uh, we just had the uh, the Tasa de Portugal final uh, between Porto and Benfica. Of course, uh, Porto winning the double um, with a two-one victory over uh, Benfica. Uh, the majority of that match, Porto was down to ten men. Uh, I'm not sure if the football was as ugly as the field or vice versa, but uh, <laughs> but what did uh, what did you make of uh, of the uh, the final game of the 2019-2020 season? Yeah, I mean it, it was an interesting match. I thought in many ways, um, you know, it, it maybe didn't live up to to the expectations. There weren't too many clear cut chances, but I don't think anyone can have too many complaints about about the results in the end. You know, Porto were were well in the game both before and after the red cards. You know, Diaz got sent off, of course, Conceição uh, too. Uh, and and really, Benfica didn't have too many clear-cut opportunities. Um, you couldn't really tell that Benfica had the, the man advantage in the second half. Porto obviously had to take up a more defensive approach than they, they would have planned for, but Benfica offered little going forward and, and, and Porto did what they had to do. Uh, you know, they made the most of the set-piece situations that they were afforded. And you know, I have to say, it was it was a surprise to me that Porto did did manage to go two 0 up, considering the considering the the adversity they faced. Uh, but they just they just didn't seem phased, uh, and and still had full belief that they could get the job done. And and at that point, you know, against ten men, two 0 down, any side is going to struggle to get back into the game. And 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 you know, Porto were quite happy to to continue with a more defensive approach. And their their excellent resilience and work rate paid off. They they really limited Benfica. You know, you had. A couple of half chances with Vinicius headers, but you know, other than than Jota hitting the post with a well-struck volley, before that there wasn't really a lot to say about Benfica's attacking endeavour. And the penalty I thought was soft as well. That gave them a, a way back into the game later on. But I thought that was that was you know that was a fortuitous penalty to say the least. So worthy champions Porto and 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 really impressive achievement to to complete the double. You know, uh, we'll 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 begin our our review of the season with with the champions uh, of both the Taça de Portugal and and uh, Liga Nós, and the, of course, uh, Port uh, overcame a a seven point lead um, from Benfica. Um, how much credit um, does Sergio Conceição uh, deserve here for what he was able to do with this team? Given that earlier in the season he was almost out the door. Um, you know, wanting to quit, uh, not on the same page with a lot of his players, uh, not on the same page with the president. Um, but how much credit does he deserve for not only turning this around, but um, you know, positioning himself for however long of a run he would like uh, at uh, at the Stadio de Ligon? Oh yeah, I mean, it's a really good point because, of course, earlier on in the season there was there was a lot of questions about Conceição. You know, fans were were, were getting impatient. I'm not sure if it was the majority, but certainly many were, were questioning him. Yeah, there seemed to be falling outs between certain players. Uh, it, it didn't look good. And, and Benfica were cruising to the title, it seemed. You know, they uh, such a, a huge advantage, a historic turnaround for Porto to catch them. They they, they deserve so much credit. Conceição has done an amazing job with this team because I don't think it's comparable to, to teams of, of the past or Porto teams of the past. Um at the same time, we do have to remember, you know, 
of course, Porto earned the title, but ultimately this was very much a case of Benfica also throwing it away in, in startling fashion. I don't want to take anything away from Porto because over the course of the season, the most consistent team wins. And that was ultimately Porto in the end, which which is, is surprising considering the start that Benfica made. Uh, you know, first half of the season, Benfica were, were incredibly consistent. They knew how to grind out results in the first half of the season, even if they, they weren't playing as well as, as you'd expect. Uh, over the, the first 19 or so games, they were unstoppable. It looked like it could be a record-breaking season. Um, yeah, but they capitulated in historic fashion and, and they opened the door for, for Porto. And credit to them, they, they took full advantage of it. Uh, you also have to remember that, of course, Porto beat Benfica on, on each of the three occasions they faced, which is an impressive achievement in itself and made them more than worthy winners, really. You know, they won their three biggest domestic games of the season. Of course, a lot of credit has to go to Conceição for that because that that's that's a massive achievement to, to beat Benfica home and away in the league and then in the cup final. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm I, he's he's one of the top Portuguese managers in the world. I think I don't think he gets quite enough credit because this isn't this isn't a, a an amazing Porto team. There are some you know very good individual players there, but what he's done there, yeah, it's 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 impressive because I don't think anyone really. It would have tipped them to win the league either at the start of the season. Benfica were were clear favourites in many people's eyes. You know, he he now has uh, has won two league titles in the last three seasons, adding now the 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 Taça de Portugal. Uh, where where do you think he ranks in terms of um, just port managers over the last um, you know let's say you know since since uh, José Mourinho? There's been there's been managers that ha- have won. Multiple titles uh, at Port, but but where do you where do you kind of find him right now, um, in, in the in the echelon since uh, since Jose Mourinho left, uh, you know, fifteen twenty years ago almost. You know what he he is he's pushing it close, isn't he, to the to the very top. I mean, you'd say that probably Andre Villas-Boas is still is still ahead of him purely because of of what he did in Europe, which I would say is the one thing you could say Conceição has not not managed to to match. Then again, in the Champions League. In his in you know over the two of the last three seasons he, he did a good job you know he was knocked out by by Liverpool in the end which is is no shame at all but I'd say this season what let them down was ultimately their their Europa League showing uh, and of course Village Boas he 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 went on to win that um, in, in the old Portuguese final of course against Braga uh, so I would say that's the only thing that really would hold him back from from being as high up as as village Bosch. but again what you you have to say is that he's he's done it over over a few seasons now you know it's the, the consistency and the fact that he's now won a cup as well because he was he was getting to finals of, of, of cup competitions but not managing to get the job done so so adding the 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 portuguese cup to his cabinet as well yeah he, he's right up there i have to say he's village Bosch probably probably Number one still since since Mourinho, but yeah, probably number two, Conceição. We're talking with uh, Alex Gonçalves of Tugascout.com. You can uh, follow Alex on uh, on Twitter at Al Jeeves. That's uh, A L J E E V E S. You can also follow uh, Tugascout on Twitter as well. Uh, Tugascout at Tugascout uh, PT. You're listening to episode number thirty two of the Slesong Podcast. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Uh, staying with Port for just a few more minutes here. What do you think was the turnaround point uh, for for the season for the for uh, for Port and uh, for Sergio Conceição? Well, again, I, I do think that obviously Benfica's uh, slip ups were were crucial. Uh, you know, in any normal season, Benfica would have gone on to win win the league quite easily. And of course, even when Benfica did slip up, you saw that Porto was still dropping points. You know, I remember that nil-nil draw with Av, which was just unthinkable before the game kicked off. You just did not see that coming. So uh I, I guess after that though, they were they were getting the job done. You know, they were very consistent. Um it seemed that they turned the corner maybe after that match. But uh, even at that point it looked like Benfica could still win it if they, if they just you know, their their defeats to to Maritimo and and Santa Clara was was really what then just gave Porto all the initiative. So I'd say it was Benfica that really played a a, a massive role in allowing Porto to 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 beat the tournament. Um, but of course, then once they won the league, they they looked really good. That Moreirense match where they won six one was was delightful to watch. They played some great football, and you know it shows what they can do. Maybe they just needed 
it, there was just a little bit too much pressure on both both teams in the end because when they when they played with that freedom, they were playing some great stuff. That that goal they scored, I think it was the fifth goal, was was magnificent. Um, and it's an exciting time for Boston, really. We've got a lot of youngsters coming through as well. It's difficult to pinpoint, I think, the the, the, the exact moment that they managed to, to to flip the switch. But I think the Avs match kind of woke them up a bit because to draw nil nil against Avs was fair play to to Avs. It was amazing, but. Um, but ultimately, a, a huge disappointment for Porto, and and after that, they they seem to to finally kick it up a gear. You know, in terms of in terms of points and in terms of logistics, I thought the the match uh, at the Ragon, uh that kept uh, Benfica from uh, from uh, expanding their lead or even uh, keeping it at seven points was was huge. It then became a four point deficit, which which then turned into a one point deficit, which turned into the lead. Um, you know, early on in the in the second part of the of the season, and and and, and Port never really uh, looked back. But um, it's 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 again, it's a it's a credit to to them to to know and to show up when needed, which was something that Benfica uh, failed to do in the second half. Um, the one thing I, I'd like to know from you is uh, there is there's one the one of the prevailing storylines of this season whether. It was with Porto winning the title or finishing in second or third, or whatever. There was there. There's been some financial um, ramifications kind of coming from this season that were going to happen no matter what happened in the season. Which is some of the uh, some of the players that uh, were key contributors to uh, this title run, like uh, like Alex Stelge. Um, they know that they are not going to be bringing him back. His contract is done, and and he's reportedly off. To bigger and better things in Europe, but uh, who do you think is is likely to uh, be sold or not renewed uh, this summer uh, in in Port's uh, defense uh, of their uh, of their Liga Nosh title? I think Danilo Pereira. I think he'll be he'll be off this this summer. Um, you know, he's got a lot of suitors uh, in the Premier League. Um, I'd be surprised if he was still there. You know, there's been there's been murmurings throughout the season that this would be his last his last campaign, and that would be a massive a massive loss. I think, um, you know, Otavio he he could he could be off as well. He's he's into his last year of contract. Uh, you know, you've got Marega, you've got um, uh, Tikinu Suarez. Their front three, I think, all all three of their 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 strikers, their main strikers, are into their last year of contract as well. So it's gonna be it is gonna be a, a pretty hectic. Summer, another one uh, of transition, really. Uh, you know, this season was actually something of a transition. You know, you saw them lose some really key players, uh, their captain as well. And they, they came back, though. They, they, they managed to win the league. So I would say that, that despite this adversity, they're going to be right up there. They're going to be challenging again. And I think the fact they've got these youngsters that are, are slowly being integrated into the team should make that transition a little bit easier. But yeah, they're going to lose going to lose Daniel. It looks like, and um, and and probably a couple more. And you uh, you mentioned the young players, uh, you know, uh, youngsters like uh, Fabio Silva and and Fabio Vieira, uh, Dio Costa, who uh, who started in goal uh, in the Tasa final, um, and uh, and Diogo Leite, uh, the the twenty uh, twenty one year old centre back. Uh, among others from that group of uh, uh, Ovilal who um, you know were so successful coming up as youngsters of those four and and others who do you th- who do you see kind of stepping up into that next role as contributors uh, as soon as next season I would say Fabio Vieira you can't really look beyond um he was he he's he was played the most I would say towards the end of the season and he looks like he's already he's already well within the within the first team squad. I'd like to see um, Fabio Silva. I think he'll probably step up if if they do lose one or two of the of of the strikers that they have on their books. I'd hopefully he gets a chance anyway. He he's uh, he's a huge prospect. Um, I'm really like uh, Romario Baro actually. Um, I think that uh, you know maybe there was a bit of a falling out with Conceição. Uh, but he he he's got he's got great attributes for for uh, for a midfielder. You know he can play pretty much in in any position in in that in that midfield. Um, hopefully he gets more of a chance next season because I think he's he's going to be a star as well. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot uh, of of encouragement. I think Diogo Leite may be off, which would be unfortunate to see if he does go. That would be 
I think a bit of a, a bit of a mistake for Porto because ultimately, you know, obviously there's Pep who's who's getting on. You know, maybe this might be his last season coming up. Um, so it would be good to see them keep him. But but ultimately, if he moves on, I'm sure he'll be successful wherever he ends up. Uh, so yeah, I'm, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a season of transition for Porto. But I think they'll get through it because of the because of that you know wonderful class that won the the UEFA Youth League not not too long ago. And uh, and I uh, I mispronounced uh, it's uh, Olival, not uh, Ovilao. So uh, all you Porto fans, I'm I'm very sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I'm trying to read as best I can here from my notes. But uh, but yeah, that that group though, um, if is if if they can come together on the in the Liga Nage setting, um, and I, of course the Liga Nage in terms of of business, it, it thrives on. Uh, making money off of its uh, off of its younger youngest stars and and you know the continuity of this Porto team for the next few years will be predicated on on finances and and what other teams in the leagues uh, in Europe uh, value their players at. But um, but it'll be interesting to see and it, and it does seem that Porto is in is in good hands uh, for the uh, for the next few seasons. That is for sure. Um, let's yeah. go to their opponent uh, from uh, the Tasa de Portugal final, which was obviously Benfica. Uh, as we are recording, we are recording this on Monday, August the 3rd. Uh, Benfica is set to officially announce and uh, unveil uh, JJ Jorzuz as uh, their, uh, their next manager following uh, Alex just a... In terms of a a Jekyll and Hyde kind of season, um, this this was this was that. I mean, if 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 there was ever a twenty twenty example of a football season, I guess it would be this Benfica season. Um, started off so well with Brun Lage, obviously coming off of the tremendous finish they had with Brun Lage uh, at the end of last season. But uh, how would you uh, how would you summarize and characterize uh, this uh, this season for Benfica? Disastrous, really, wasn't it? I mean. It has to be said. It was it was a uh, a season to be forgotten, but probably won't be forgotten because of how how much of a capitulation it was in the end. Um, as you said, it was so promising to begin with. You know the way they ended last season, the phenomenal start they made in this one. It, it was unthinkable that uh, that this could happen. You know, Laj was looking like a, a miracle worker. Benfica were were cruising to the title, but uh, you know the cracks were there to see. The winning, winning in the league, it started to become more and more challenging. You know, they were still winning, but it wasn't as convincing as it was at the end of last season. Uh, that loss to Porto on, on, I think it was the second or third day of the season. That was, that was uh, probably another warning sign. They, they, this is this is the story of Benfica probably over the last last couple of seasons, maybe more. That they're very good, generally. Well, before before the end of this season, of course, but they're very good generally against against the teams they're expected to beat. But when it comes to a team that's of the same standard as them or better, they just they just struggle, and that's I think why they've struggled in Europe recently, and and the fact that they lost three times against Porto this season kind of sums that up. Um, so yeah, they were failing miserably in Europe, just about squeezing into the Europa League this season by coming third in what was an average group for the Champions League, really, um, and and then they were dispatched by Shakhtar. So it all just capitulated from there. They needed something significant to change, and I, you know, they, they've turned to Jorge Jesus. You know, it's 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 funny because um, I thought when when they, you know, the name started coming out, you know, Pochettino and and Unai Emery, and 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 then JJ's name came about, and I'm like, there's got to be uh, like a one percent chance that Jorge Jesus comes <laughs> back. Uh, you know, you know how how everything ended the the first go around uh, with the uh, with the club and and him, but. Um, what does it say about uh, Luis Felipe Vieta's uh, personal feeling of his footing as president of the club with the elections coming up in October? Yeah, no, it's a very good point. I mean, it was it was quite Im- incredible that he came back. Uh, it, it's it's startling in many ways. You know, it, it didn't look like it was ever going to be a possibility while Luis Felipe Vieta was still the the president. But it's an election year, you know. It is an election year, and and personally, I do think that Jorge Jesus was the best possible possible appointment for Benfica. Really, you know, there was talk of Pochettino, as you say, but that was always in the realms of fantasy. Let's be honest. I don't. Yeah, it think was, that was, it ever was a pipe happen. dream, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it would have been ideal, of course, but uh, but no, he he was he was going to be going to to a, a stronger league, 
And for Benfica right now, there's there's no way they could have attracted a better manager than JJ. And I, it, of course, it's it's incredibly controversial, particularly the fact that you know Luis Felipe is still the president. This didn't think like it could ever happen while he was still there. The way he left the first time around, you know, and a minority of fans, I think, will have will have incredible and serious reservations about this. But I think that this is exactly the appointment Benfica needed. Really, it, it, it this would this is controversial and and highly debatable. But you know, you could definitely make a case that he's the best Portuguese manager in the world right now. You know, there are there are some serious contenders for that. Nuno at Wolves is doing an amazing job. Mourinho, of course, Fonseca. Even you know Fernando Santos, Conceição, but you you look back at what he did at Benfica the first time, and their slow decline since he left, you know, particularly in Europe, it 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 makes his achievements even more impressive in hindsight, I think. And then of course what he did at Sporting, he got them so close to the title, and then to to round it off, the success he's had in South America with Flamengo, he's he's unproven in a top top league, of course, but. You know, I've got no doubt that he'd have had success, had the opportunity to manage in, in England or Spain or elsewhere come around. You know, he's incredibly experienced. So I think I think it's he's going to be successful. Um, and again, because it's an election year, it seems he'll be backed in the markets, you know. Um, and and you know, it's it's not an appointment that's going to bring about long-term success. I think I think we can agree. You know, this is uh three years, maybe three or four years maximum, I would say. But he can help Benfica become a force, potentially not only in Portugal but in Europe again. Not not like uh, you know challenging for the Champions League, but certainly being very competitive in the Europa League uh, in in the short term. But again, yeah, Luis Felipe Vieira got desperate it seems because I I don't think that he would have ever thought of bringing in uh, Jorge Jesus in any other circumstance than this, which kind of shows the state of Benfica right now. You're listening to uh, episode number 32 of the Slesson Podcast. I am your host, Danny Pinto. We are joined uh, by Alex Gonsalves of TugaScout.com. You can follow Alex on Twitter at Al Jeeves. That's A-L-J-E-E-V-E-S. And, of course, you can follow uh, the TugaScout account as well, at TugaScoutPT. Um, one more thing about Benfica, and, and we'll move on to, uh, to Braga next. But, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, there's there are rumors that uh, they're they're going to try to open up the uh, the purse strings a little bit this summer with a win now mentality uh, for the next couple of years is however long uh, George Zouj is there. Uh, what are you hearing on the Cavani front, and what are you hearing on the <laughs> reported you know 100 million uh, that is supposedly supposed to be available uh, for spending this summer? I think I think Cavani. I mean, I just can't see it. It's just, it's not feasible. I, of course, Benfica could afford it because he'll come with no, with no signing fee. Of course, you know, we won't have to pay anything to to to, to see him come to Portugal. Of course, but uh, it, it's it's a dream, isn't it? Let's be honest. I think that he'll he'll. What I last heard was potentially Roma, um, uh, but I see like a five percent chance of Fanny ending up. Benfica. It would be it would be amazing for the league to see that happen. You know what a prestigious signing that would be. It would be like uh, when, when well even bigger than when uh, when Porto managed to bring in Iker Casillas. Um, but yeah, that I just don't think that's going to happen. In terms of the the funding, I think it will be there. One hundred million would be a lot. I don't I don't know if it will be that high. But again, we could see plenty of players leave this this summer as well if if there are clubs out there willing to sign, which. Of course, their stock is is lower than it would have been this time last year, for example. But if a club's willing to pay the release clause of of Ruben Dias or or Carlos Vinicius, then then I can definitely see that money being reinvested in the squad rather than than as we've seen in the past, it kind of just just been kept in 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 the the, the management upstairs and not really uh, not really reinvested in the squad as we'd we'd like to see from from all the clubs in in Portugal. So. Uh, I think I think he'll be backed in the market. Whether it'll be 100 million, we'll see. But uh, but certainly, I think I think we can expect a, a, an interesting summer on on the transfer front uh, at Benfica. We now what we now turn our attention to. I th- you know it, this is my personal opinion, and, and Alex, you you have a better grasp of, of the league than than I do. But is there anyone who doesn't like Braga or has any ill will? <laughs> Towards Braga, I don't. I've never met anyone who said, "Oh my God, Braga!" You know, you know, I can't wait to beat them. They must be like the nicest quality team 
<laughs> in, in the league by far. Um, oh, I I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, like I openly yeah, they're, root they're, for them. I openly root for them if there's if it does not impact Benfica whatsoever. And you know, <laughs> is it Benfica? You know, I don't root for anybody else, but I, I like seeing you know I like seeing their success. I love their stadium. Uh, the quarry is it, it can be a, uh, an absolute fortress. Um, but absolutely. But I mean, it just the way they've conducted business this season specifically, and you know, and they've been they've been a top four team. Um, the last you know five six years, uh, you can you can make the case you know that they they are, are they are arguing to be uh, you know a, a, to make a conversation of a top four in Portugal instead of the top three. That obviously has to come with a, a few more titles um, you know, over the years. Yeah, uh, they got the Liga the Tasta Liga title this year, but uh, in terms of roller coaster in a good way, uh, this Braga season <laughs> started with Sapin as their manager. He gets fired in December. They started off, I think they were like 16th or 17th uh, near rele- uh, relegation in the first month and a half of the season. They then go to Huben Abring, who had uh, zero coaching experience um, at, at this level. Uh, they get off to a great start with him. They then sell him, for all intents and purposes, to Sporting in March for $10 million. They sell Trincão for $30 million. They're in the process of perhaps um, selling uh, Pauling for another thirty million. They get a tremendous manager who knows the league and is uh, Braga, you know, through and through in Carlos Cavalho. Uh There's a lot of right that is being done right now uh, at Braga, don't you think? Oh yeah, I mean to to hear that back, it's it's incredible how turbulent this season was, how chaotic it was, and yet so successful. I mean, I, I completely agree with what you say. Braga are, are, are many people's second favorite team in Portugal, if not their first, of course. But it's just, I think it's the fact that, that they are the underdogs. And, and you, you kind of lose sight of that because they, they have been so good for so long. But the, the financial discrepancies between them and the, and the big three still exists. It's, it's not as big as it was, for sure, in, in the past. But, you know, they had to work so hard to get to the, to the, to the point that they are at right now. And they, they look in as good a position as, as they've ever been, really. I mean, even with, I, they've had now, I think it's six managers in the last in the last year, uh, which is, is crazy when you look back, uh, including, you know, Abel, of course, who went to Pale. Um, and yet they've done so well. Uh, and, and of course, this isn't the first season that they've done it. You know, it's been, it's been a decade-long process that they've managed to compete properly with, with the big three. Never really challenging for the title, apart from maybe one or, or potentially two seasons over, over the, the the course of of the decade. But they they've just they're always up there, and and as you say, bringing in Carlos Carvalhal is is, is huge. Uh, they're they're in great hands going forward. Carlos Carvalhal proved at Rio Ave that uh, that he's a top manager. He's proved it in the past, and it's no wonder that he was inundated with offers after he left uh, uh, Rio Ave. And that Braga managed to, to, to get him is testament to, to their project, their ambition, which will have surely been what convinced Carvalhal to, to join in the first place. Uh, he'll bring entertaining football, as we saw at Rio Ave this season, huge experience and, and should finally, hopefully, offer some stability to the club, at least for one season, you would think. Of course, he's a manager that does hop about quite a lot himself, but you'd like to think that he'll be there for the whole season if, if, he's, given, if he's given the chance and hopefully it all goes well for him because he deserves it. Um, and and they're making really good progress in the transfer market as well. Really shrewd business already. I think they brought in, of course, Al Muzzurati is an excellent choice to to replace Palinha in defensive midfield. A player, of course, Gabriel knows knows really well. He impressed last season in second second half of last season. Nico Gaetan coming back to Portugal to play for Braga. That's a huge coup for them. He may be past his peak, but you know what a what a caliber of signing that is. And then, of course, you've got wildcards like uh, like Castro and Yuri Medeiros, who they've also brought in. So, it's there's a real chance that they could they could be even more exciting next season than than, than they were this season. And they they're going all out for third in the league next season, top three, which of course next time around will come with the Champions League spot. So, it's 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 a big season for for, for Braga if they achieve that. Who knows? Because there's this financial, you know, there's a huge windfall coming their way if they do manage to to make it to the group stage. That is, but uh, but I wouldn't bet against them because they're they're doing everything right. You know, it, it's hard to compete in 
in Liga Nós, you know, just financially in terms of you know, against Porto and Benfica and Sporting. But can this team? Uh, and of course, the the the, the transfer window just opened uh, as of as of this recording. Um, you know, today as of this recording, uh, and there's and there's likely more business to be done. Um, but as as they are currently situated now, not I mean, you you mentioned top three. Could they make a run, possibly for a league title? Do you think is is the is the system there with with Carlos Cavallal coming coming in with you know with talent like uh, Ricardo Hota and 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 Galeno and and bringing in some of the some of these uh, these uh, solid pieces that they've already done in this uh, in this transfer window? And again, good business. They're both on freeze, uh, Gaetan and uh, and um, Al Masurati. Can this team uh, be a threat to the top three in this upcoming Liga Nord season? I mean, you know what? I don't think there's been a better season for them to be able to 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 really compete for that top spot. And it sounds crazy just to say because you know the the idea of finishing above one one of the big three is a, is a huge achievement for any side, including Braga, of course. To finish above two is quite extraordinary to be able to finish above all three in the same season that is that is uh, you know a menacing a menacing proposition it's 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 so difficult to, you know you have to rely on all three having relatively disappointing seasons for that to happen but you know what the, the, the thing with Braga is they need to just win those games that they're expected to because we know that they can cause upsets against the big three We've seen that this season. They won five consecutive matches against the big three this season across all competitions, which was just unheard of. If they can now, because they had some really disappointing results this season, if they can win those games they're expected to, not draw them as as they as they often do, but win those matches, then of course they are well within a within a shout, um, and and they are as well placed as they've ever been before to do that. And of course, Porto are going through a transition. Sporting look all over the place still. Uh, and Benfica, who knows? They're a bit of a wild card. They could, they could have a great season, but again, it's also a bit of a transition for them. And Braga look like they're going to keep most of their players, which is crucial. I'd say that's more important than any signs they do is that they keep that core together, which I think they're, they're going to do on the large part, and and add those, as you say, those last few solid pieces. They can, they can. Why not? The financial disparity is there, but the quality is absolutely not. We're talking with Alex Gonçalves of uh, TugaScout.com here on episode number 32 of the Slesson podcast. You know, uh, Braga had multiple managers and found some success uh, in this uh, Liga Nar season. Uh, the next club we're going to talk about, one of the uh, the other uh, piece of the uh, of the big three uh, that have had their struggles in uh, in recent history in, in uh, Liga Nar. Of course, we're talking about Sporting. Sporting actually, as we mentioned, they, they buy <laughs> pretty much... Uh, Huben Amorim from Braga in March, and on the last day, get <laughs> get tipped by Braga for third, and they fall to fourth in uh, in the league, and now uh, have to qualify uh, or in the qualifying stage now in uh, in the Europa League. Uh, this is a this is a club, Alex, that has not won uh, a league title since the beginning part of uh, of this uh, millennium here. Uh, I believe it was 2001, 2002. Yeah, the 2001, yeah, 2002 then, season. Yeah. yeah, we're approaching 20 years. Um, you know, we, you know, uh, Benfica fans in the later, uh, the latter part of uh, of the uh, of the 90s and the early part of uh, of the 2000s, they went, I think, maybe nine, ten years before they had a uh, a, a league title with uh, with, with Trapattoni uh, leading the way. We're we're approaching two decades now with sporting. What what can you surmise as the current state of this uh, of this uh, storied club, and where do you think they are currently in rectifying that? They've they've got a long way to go. I, I I really think you know it doesn't feel like a club that has. They've already gone as you say nearly two decades without a league title, and they seem further away. Than they ever have. Really. I mean, of course, they they've had some shocking seasons between then, but they just they just they just don't seem to have made it any closer. They had that one amazing season with uh, Jorge Jesus, where they came so close to finally doing it, but they 
they're not in a good place. Yeah, you know, I, I think they've got a good manager on their hands. Amorim proved at Braga that he knows what he's doing, but he is he's unproven. Um he he's who knows if he's actually gonna stick around because you know he's already had uh, he's been you know Casapia, um Braga B, then Braga and then Sporting and, and he didn't stay very long at any of them. Um if they keep hold of him for the long term, maybe they can they can build something over the years. But they just the next year is not they're not gonna they're not gonna be competing for the title. To be honest, finishing third would be would be progress for them. If they manage to actually finish above Braga, they could consider that pretty successful, a chance to qualify for the Champions League. But yeah, I, I don't see them closing the gap, particularly this season, because if anything, it looks like they may lose some of their key players, some of their youngsters potentially as well. Um and and you see that the, the other three teams they're competing with all have hugely experienced managers now. They they look like they're being backed in the market. Uh, you know, Porto have Champions League football, which will give financial backing even if they do lose some players on the cheap, uh, so they can strengthen. Yeah, I mean, I I can't I can't see them finishing top two. I think top three is is going to be difficult. To be honest, I think Braga have have a better team currently. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be another another disappointing season for them. Maybe a couple of seasons if they don't if they don't get their act together. You know, start uh, investing well. I think is the is the problem. You saw what they did last season, bringing Jesse and uh, and Bolassi, two players which in the past you'd have gone, wow, that's that's huge for Sporting, but they're like it's seven years too late. <laughs> so uh, it's yeah, they've got to change their their transfer policy. I think to to really have a have a chance of winning the title. And the the most consistent thing about sporting over the last, uh, I would say, five six years it has just been the inconsistency that that the that the that management and, and those who are making the the decisions at sporting uh, ha, have been making. And you know, you look at you look at just the season that coming into the season. I mean, they were not um, they were not a factor in the league in terms of you know. Uh, a title threat last season, but this is a club that won the Taça da Liga and the Taça de Portugal. Those are, you know, the the any any of the big Very three true. are are looking are looking to win those titles as well. Um, they seem to have a a a. It, there seem to be some cohesion with uh, uh, Marcel Kaiser uh, coming off of last season, but then he gets uh, let go at the beginning of the league uh, this season. Uh, Sealage takes over. He is then let go, obviously, for for Amring. Uh, it's a revolving door in terms of management as well there. And as you mentioned, the the player situation and and uh, and a friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Eng, who we've had on the show before, a huge uh, sporting fan. The business side of of sporting has has taken a bit of a hit in terms of. There are a lot of young players, and 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 you know you mentioned it uh, a couple minutes ago. Um, you know there, the, you know sporting is is still the mecca of uh, of academy uh, Portuguese academy players, given their history of uh, of who's gone through there. Figo, CR seven, uh, João Moutinho, uh, Rui Patrice. So th- they're always going to be looked at in, in a positive light there with their young players. Uh, Giovanni Cabral, he's 22. Uh, he won the Player of the Month uh, in June. Um, you, then you have players like Noon Mins, who, as of either yesterday or this or, or this morning, as we're recording, are uh, reportedly getting interest uh, from Real Madrid. Um, you have uh, Gelson Fernandes, who has not set foot, I don't think, uh, for much of uh, his his career all, uh, in uh, in Liga Nage, already getting offers and a offer rejected. Uh, to go to uh, to go to Arsenal, so the business is there to be made, but the criticism has been that the release clauses are very rarely met, um, and sometimes drastically not met. What do you think of the business side of how Sporting has conducted themselves uh, in the last uh, five six years, and and is there any kind of uh, remedy for that in the near future? Well, I mean, actually, one one thing I would say for when Bruno de Cavalli was there was that they were actually selling players for for a, a large fee. They were actually selling them probably above what their market value was at the time. Um, so that was one thing that, to be fair, during his reign, he did really well. And I can see why there's now frustration from from sporting fans that they've they've seen him go and and replaced 
Um, obviously, he had his his shortcomings as well. Uh, that, there's too many really to to talk about now. But on the business side, they were doing they were doing well with him with him as president. Since he's left, it's just it's gone it's gone to pieces a little bit. I would say, you know, their signings have been have been below below sporting standards. They've been selling players for the cheap. Um, and and I would say one the one of the the good things they did do this season was with Bruno Fernandes because they did stick to their guns. You know they didn't sell him in the summer because they didn't get the offer they wanted. In the end, you'd say he probably did go for for less than than he's worth, although it could be as high as a, a eighty million euros, I believe, uh, if he fulfills all his objectives. So I'd say that that was one thing they actually did quite well. Uh, they actually managed to 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 you know get what they were looking for for him. Uh, but other than that, the signings they've made. And, and the other departures they've seen, uh, they've, they've not been great. They've not been great at all. And they've got to replace, well, they, they can't replace Bruno Fernandes, but they've got to reinvest that money as well as they can. If they reinvest that money well, then maybe they'll have a chance of actually having a successful season. Um, but I, I just don't see it happening currently because their movements in the market um, haven't been good. And as you say, their youngsters not only don't go for their release clause, but their release clauses are often quite low compared to, to as you see with Benfica, for example, where they, they slap on 120 million euros or 100 million euros for, for their star youngsters that are breaking into the first team. So there's there's a lot of mismanagement, I think, at the club. But if they reinvest that Bruno Fernandes money well, then then that's the only way I see them I see them closing the gap. You know, it started the the Umbering, uh era, uh, if you want to call it that, it did start well. They they were unbeaten in their first uh, eight matches yep. in the league, uh, six wins, two draws. They did finish uh, with a loss, a draw, and a loss uh, in the last three matches. And, of course, those two losses coming to uh, the bitter rivals, uh, Fort and Benfica, Benfica on the last day of the season. But um, if they can somehow... And maybe you know the 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 you know with with the pandemic uh, impacting uh, impacting so many aspects of uh, of uh, of football uh, in the last few months, primarily financially, uh, there's there's going to be some sales and there's going to be some some business done that maybe not under normal circumstances would be done uh, because of uh, the financial ramifications. But you saw the young talent come, as I mentioned, uh, Cabral. Uh, he's 22. Uh, Noon Menge is 18. Eduard uh, Quaresma is 18. Uh, Tiag Tumaj uh, is 18. Uh, goalkeeper uh, Luis Maximilian is 21. Wendell's 22. Yep. Uh, and again, uh, Joelson Fernandes, 18. The, there is young talent, and, and by no means would I ever be silly enough to compare that young talent coming out of the academy with the stars that have been uh, you know, fostered uh, in, in the last uh, you know, 20, 25 years. But as you mentioned, if they can wisely use their their financial windfall from the Brun Fernandes sale and get these kids who played well under Amurin for the most part um, another season under their belt uh, as a collective unit, um, will they win the league? Probably not, but I mean they they are they are a a Champions League caliber team coming out of league nage and i want to make sure that is how i characterize it uh but <laughs> but they they should have every opportunity if handled properly to uh to fight for a spot uh in in europe's biggest stage uh, next season no i agree with that i do and, and their team is is incredibly young uh i think that's what amarim's done really well he's come in and said look everyone's got a chance it doesn't matter what your age is you're gonna you're gonna be able to play under me and of course it was before he arrived too, they had they had a lot of youngsters there that were that were being given an opportunity. But it's that it's the it's the management side that the it, uh, above the manager, if you will, um, you know, in terms of in terms of the the transfer business, because you know you hear that they're willing to listen to offers for Jovan Cabral for twenty million euros. You know, where, where, if Benfica had a player like Cabral, they would not even consider selling him for twenty million. When you've got someone with that that ceiling, you know, that potential. You would not sell him for twenty million. So if they do end up selling him for for a fee in that region, then it kind of just summarizes where sporting are at right sure. now. It would be, I, I you know, I, I, it just it doesn't make sense to me to to sell your star player for twenty million and and probably not be able to replace him with with that kind of for that kind of money in in today's market. You'd have to you'd have to be really shrewd in the market, and and sporting just don't seem to have that in them right now. So if they do continue to sell their players for below the value that, that you'd like to see them go for, 
then they're, they're going to struggle. But as you say, the core of the team is good. It's very young. And, and going forward, if they do keep the team together, which is the most important thing, if they keep the team, then for sure they can be successful. But I don't think next season is is, is the year for that. Maybe in, in two to three years, you could see them start to, to close the gap on the top two again. But it seemed, it, they still seem a long way off to me. You know, let's uh, let's end with uh, with two uh, two more topics here, and, and we'll we'll call this the 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 feel good and the not good uh, of the <laughs> of the Liga Nord season. Obviously, uh, Famalicão out of nowhere, newly promoted uh, in first place uh, for about a month, all the way through week yes. seven, I believe. Um, but you know, uh, some uh, folks call it uh, <laughs> folks call it uh, George Minge FC. <laughs> call, call it whatever you want, but you know that that project um, was so fascinating to see throughout the entire season. Uh, they were in the they were in the top three for I would say two thirds of the year and were battling for a, a top five position and a position in uh, the Europa League until just the crazy finish they had uh, in the final in the final weekend. But um, how good a story and, and and how fun was it to to watch uh, Fumalikan this season? Ah, oh, stunning! Yeah, stunning season for Famalicão. What they did, such a young side as well. You know, you forget that because they played with such maturity. Uh, they played such entertaining. You know, no fear football. They they got results against the big, the big clubs, um, and, and the results against the likes of Porto and Sporting just really summarised how much they were the feel good story of the season. I think they caught the eyes and minds of of, of all Portuguese football fans really. Um, and, and that they came so close to qualifying for the Europa League in their, in their first season back in the top flight is it, just miraculous, really. It, it, of course, you know, there's that huge disappointment for them to, to miss out on Europa League football altogether after, you know, such a fantastic campaign, having been in the top five for the vast majority of the season. It, it was kind of disheartening. You've got to say credit to Rio Ave. You know, I actually think they'll have a better chance of, of being successful in Europe than Famalicão. Uh, but I know most neutrals were rooting for Famalicão. Their story was amazing. They just couldn't get the job done. I'm a little concerned for them next season, to be honest. You know, they had so many lone players uh, sure. that, that obviously will be leaving the season. Nejuan Perez, Diogo Gonçalves, Fabio Martins looks like he's going back and probably going to be sold somewhere. Racic, uh, Alex Santeas. There, there are many others as well that I've that I've forgotten to mention. Um, so they face a huge rebuilding process. Their association with Atletico Madrid and, as you say, Georges Mendes, should mean that they are able to assemble an equally talented squad next season, but it's not guaranteed. You know, They've got a great manager as well, and if they do make good use of the loan market again, then they'll have, they'll have a good campaign, but we'll see if they are able to, to do that, you know, particularly with such a short space of time between now and the start of the season, you know? You know the 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 approach was was something that we you know very rarely see work uh, with uh, you know just uh, you don't have a lot of time to build continuity with with so many players coming in uh, mm. from a promoted side. Yet they made it work for the majority of the season. And I would say no, they made it work for the season. You know, if you were to tell me that they finished sixth at the beginning of the year, um, you know, I think everyone who uh, who follows follows the game would have been like, "Wow, sixth from the a promoted side, yeah, yeah. Uh, promoted side like this." But how how uh, how much do you think the approach would have changed in the upcoming season uh, had they finished fifth and, and and got that last qualifying spot for uh, for Europa League? It's a good point, actually. It is because it would have been interesting to see how the approach would have shifted, as you say. If they had, if they had managed to get Europa League, you know, the caliber of player probably would have would have increased. You know, you've got the the Atletico Madrid owner obviously has a share in Famalicão, and if if he saw that the the project worked that well, that they actually managed to get into to Europe at the first attempt, then maybe he would have been like, wow, okay, you know, we can we can actually build something really special here. So I think they'll have there'll have been a, a bit of a disappointment that they didn't manage to get it done. Maybe a bit of that uh, that enthusiasm may have dissipated a little bit. Hopefully not, you know, of course. But um, but yeah, I think I think they they probably would have again used the loan market as they will this summer. It looks like um, purely because you know financially it helps. It helps, of course, the the young Atletico Madrid players to get the chance to play, you know, high level football week after week um, in in a, a very good league, the Portuguese league. You know, it's much better than playing in your under twenty one division, for example, or the the B teams in in the second and third tier. 
years of, of Spanish football. Um, so it's mutually beneficial, you know. And of course, George Menge gets to put his his players on on the, on a bigger stage to then maybe sell on later. So it's a win win for everybody to make use of the of the loan market. I just hope that there's not too much disheartenment that they they missed out. Hopefully, they again sign really high quality youngsters. Um, and, and if they do, you know, maybe they'll they'll push for the Europa League again next season. So we go from that feel good story to uh, a club that can't find their keys. And that is and that is Avsh. <laughs> um, oh yes. What what a disaster ending um, for for. I mean they they won the Taça de Portugal two years ago, Alex. Absolutely. And we're yeah. and we're yeah. at a we're at a point with this club that they that they were uh, at the bottom of the league the majority of the year. I think for a good twenty some odd weeks they were they were in last place uh, throughout Absolutely. the entire season. Yeah. Um, you then have stories coming out in the last few weeks that they don't know if they're even going to field players or, or, or play the games um, because mm-hmm. of, of financial issues. And then uh, as they as the season officially came to an end, uh, not only them, but uh, Vittoria Stuhl, due to financial and, and licensing issues, not only do they get demoted after not finishing in the top two, uh, in, the, in the bottom two spots, but uh, Stubel and uh, Avj get demoted to the third division of yeah. Portuguese football. Uh, yeah, it's you know, it's it's one of these things where it's like it's such a black eye to the league that is just known around the world as a feeder league to everyone else. But when when stuff like this happens, uh, it's it's such it's such a a a negative mark on the league and. It just uh, to uh, to me it almost it was almost a microcosm of how uh, of how twenty twenty has gone <laughs> has gone um, <laughs> around the world. But um, the, the off story and then with Stubble, such a storied club too in in Portugal going down to the third. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the both clubs will will appeal, and I would assume unless something drastic happens that they will uh, just be relegated to the one uh, just one down. But um, what what are your thoughts on on just the the calamity at Avgen uh, uh, and the ending to their season? It's yeah, it's a it's a tragic story, really, isn't it for Avge? You know, just just a, a devastating a devastating season for Avge. Um, it was it was hugely upsetting for everyone to watch. Really, I think they had they had uh, one win from the first twelve or thirteen games. You know, three points on the board out of 13 league games is just it clearly shows they were out of their depth um and you know the, the fact they won the portuguese cup in 2018 is is look it makes it look even more impressive now it was an amazing achievement at the time but but looking back now two years ago how much things can change in just two years you know um they were they were down after the after the first 10 or so games um but to then to then see it rounded off with with such financial troubles and to see the team completely decimated really by the end of the campaign completely completely different from from the team they like if you compare the team they lined up with in the first game week to the last i don't think you'd see too many uh, too many players that are still there um and, and then just rounded off by being launched down into the third tier of the domestic game it's it's hard you know it's hard to accept you have to feel for them and the fans who who were so jubilant two years ago after that portuguese cup success uh, they they they'd actually done brilliantly in the top flight over the last couple of seasons. You know they they became they were maintaining themselves pretty reasonably. You know they never looked at huge risk of going down. It was always a possibility, but they they finished okay, pretty comfortable. Uh, but such a disaster in the end, and it seems harsh, really. You know, in in a year with with uh, COVID nineteen, I don't know how much that impacted their finances, but you've got to think that it it may have had had a a, a role. You know, oh, sure. and to just throw them into the third division. Uh, you know, because of things that are ultimately out of their control and for sure, of course, not their fault at all. It seems harsh. You know, you'd like to see a bit of uh, a bit of leeway given a bit of reasonable thinking if, if that is a contributing factor, which I think we can safely assume is the case. Uh, but, you know, hopefully they, they, they do OK with the appeal, maybe just relegation to the second division, as you say. I mean, we've seen things like this happen before with the likes of Shilvacent and Boavista. Not the same situation, of course, but they've been reinstated to the top flight having been uh, you know relegated to the third tier of portuguese football so maybe who knows in a few years time we'll see Avsh back but right now it's 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 a painful situation for them and, and it does look a long way back to the top flight 
Alex, uh, we we can't thank you enough for for joining us and giving us uh, your your thoughts on on the just completed 2019-2020 uh, Liga Nord season. Um, we want to make sure that uh, everyone gives you a follow on Twitter. That's at Al Jeeves, A-L-J-E-E-V-E-S, uh, on Twitter, uh, TugaScout.com, uh, on Twitter, at TugaScoutPT. Uh, but before we let you go, uh, there is a book coming out here in, I think, in the fall. It looks like uh, October the 5th. Uh, it's called Iberia Chronicles, A Brief History of Spanish and Portuguese Football. And uh, you were one of twenty writers to uh, to uh, be part of this uh, collective uh, collective project. Uh, tell uh, tell everyone uh, who's uh, who's listening here uh, what the project is about and uh, your role uh, in the in the upcoming book. Yeah, I mean that was that was really good fun. You know, great to be able to contribute to that. Um, it was it was basically brought about by uh, by these two great uh, football writers on Twitter, uh, Karan and Raúl. Uh, who started by you know writing online, uh, and they wanted to move to to print, and so you know they they published their first book. They brought together a range of uh, of really good writers who who brought their own perspectives on on various aspects of of Portuguese and Spanish football, and and collated collated their their work into a book, um, Iberia Chronicles. Um, and it was it was really good fun. You know they gave us a lot of freedom to to explore various uh, different facets of, of Portuguese football. Uh, so the book has a has a great range of topics. There's going to be a lot of interesting bits for, for every reader, really. Um, and, and it was really good fun. You know, I, I ended up writing about uh, Braga actually, uh, and how they're closing uh, the gap on the traditional big three. So you know, quite topical uh, after the, after the the summer they've had and how they ended the season and and their ability to potentially sustain that challenge uh, first and foremost over the last decade, but maybe in the future as well. So it was really fun to to be able to kind of look back at their their decade and and maybe question whether they can keep it going uh, looking forwards. Uh, you can you can buy uh, your copy of the upcoming book, uh, again, coming out on October the 5th. It will be available on Amazon, uh, Hive, um, through uh, pitchpublishing.co.uk. Uh, anywhere uh, you can uh, find uh, books around the world online, you can hopefully find Iberia Chronicles, A Brief History of Spanish and Portuguese football. We'll uh, we'll throw the link uh, to uh, to pitch and uh, anywhere uh, on the uh, on our uh, social media uh, to get this uh, to get this book out there uh, to the viewing and reading public. Uh, Alex, I can't thank you enough again for for joining us. Uh, I'm glad to see that uh, your work uh, is obviously being recognized in 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 including you in a, in a project like this. And if you guys have not been following Alex on uh, on social media, he does a great great job. Uh, a very gifted writer and and uh, and kind of gives the lay of the land of uh, of the league and and, and the uh, and the national team uh, and aren't we excited about talking about some national team uh, news in the in the later part of this month and then the early part of uh, of <laughs> September with some actual some actual matches Alex uh, what what do you think oh, about yes. that oh I know it's been too long hasn't it too long without without seeing our, our beloved Celestin in action. Yes, looking forward to that a lot. I'll have to come back. I'll have to come back and we can discuss it, you know, in more detail. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you back. It's been it's been a great experience for us and we're so glad that we could finally connect and get you on the uh, get you on the show. Again, Alex Gonsalves of uh, com, Tuga Scout PT on Twitter and then you can follow him as well at Al Jeeves, A-L-J-E-E-V-E-S. Alex, all the best to you. Stay safe, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Appreciate that, Danny. And our thanks once again to Alex Gonsalves of uh, TugaScout.com for helping us review the just-completed Liga Nosh season. Please check out TugaScout.com for all of Alex's tremendous work, and make sure to follow both his and the TugaScout accounts on Twitter and let him know what a great job he did on the show. Uh, that will do it for this episode of the Slesson Podcast. Uh, we thank you uh, once again for tuning in as uh, while it's been fun branching out a bit in regards to discussing the latest happenings of uh, Liga Nage while, uh, while this lesson has been on hiatus due to the, due to the pandemic. Uh, I am beyond excited to get back to talking about this lesson as I'm sure many of you guys are as well. The first match of the nation's league of nation's league group play is set for just over a month from now. As of this recording, it's set for Saturday, September the 5th as the reigning, Defending, undisputed, and inaugural Nations League champions begin their quest to go back-to-back by hosting Croatia at the Stadio du Dragon in Port 
It is where the inaugural Nations League campaign came to such a joyous and victorious end for the Slesson, so it's only fitting that the next campaign gets started from there as well. Uh, there is no date yet uh, set for the roster announcement. Uh, it will happen sometime later this month in August. Uh, but as soon as we have that for you, we will make it available and share it with you guys on out on all of our social media platforms. Uh, remember to download, listen, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on whichever podcast platform you are using. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Pod. Like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Pod. Reach us via email, Pod at gmail.com. You'll find us eventually on YouTube. Uh, just search uh, the Slesson Podcast. And please check out our website, SlesonPod.com. My name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host of episode 32 of the Slesson Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net. Thank you all for your continued support of the show. And as always, Forse Portugal!